Ephesians, as we uh, continue, we see Paul here. He's in the opening remarks of his letter to the church in Asia, and it would have been a circular letter. It would have been going to multiple churches at that time. And so he uh, begins with his introduction as normal, and then he moves into uh, a presentation of the gospel. And now we get to this part where it's a prayer. It's a prayer over the church. Uh, a few years back, I had the opportunity to to go to Haiti on a mission trip. Many of you might remember Pastor Will John. He came here for a Sunday and spoke. And, and uh, while I was down there, Pastor Will John had uh, a vibrant ministry. He, uh, he came out of seminary or came out of Bible school and he began to preach in a village underneath a mango tree. And as time went on, that became a church. So there was a church built right next to the mango tree. And as, as time went on, he built a mission house and then he built a clinic and then he built a school and then he built a uh, orphanage and like it just kept growing and growing and growing because the village had no real um, ways to meet their needs outside of the church providing these things. And so as I was down there um, that morning, early morning on a Sunday, Pastor Will John woke me up with a couple of other people and he said, hey, we're going to church. And I was like, okay, it's still dark outside. All right. And so we, we got up and we drove all the way to Cap Haitian, which is the larger city on the north side of the island. And by the time we, we got there, the sun was just beginning to, to rise, and you could hear the music. The, the people were, were packed into this, into this building, their, their chairs all out into the street, and there's people sitting on the rooftops, and they're singing at the top of their lungs, and they're praising God, and I was like, wow, like this is a ton of people, and they're, they don't even fit. They don't even all fit inside the building, and so we sat outside in the street for a little bit, and then before too long, Pastor Will John was like, all right, let's go inside. And I was like, okay. So we go inside and, and he takes me up on the stage. And so I'm sitting with him and all these other pastors and, and I'm watching uh, this church worship. And, and I'm just going to say it's a little more vibrant than what we saw here this morning. <laughs> a, little more, a little more energy in the room. And, uh, and I was just kind of taken back by it. And then Pastor Will John says, all right, it's your turn to, to speak to the church. Oh, Okay. And, and, and by my best, my best memory, and that's, that's getting worse, but my best memory is that this is the section of Scripture that I shared that morning, that I shared Paul's prayer because I was watching their faith. I was watching them worship, and I just wanted to give thanks for it. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 at the end of the chapter. You can follow along there with me. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the testimony of 
saints that are meeting across the world today who worship you in languages that are not our own, that you are being praised by every nation and every tribe and every tongue, and one day that will come to fulfillment in your kingdom. So, Father, today we thank you, we join with the saints, and we worship, and we say thank you for the cross. Thank you for purchasing our redemption through your blood so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters and brought into a family, that we could be united to you because you are the head of the church. Allow us today to be those who are drawn into an intimacy with you that is far beyond information, but it's a genuine relationship with you because of the Holy Spirit you've sealed us with. Father, we thank you for your word today. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is growing in Christ. As we go through this series, it's called In Christ. And so last week was redemption in Christ. This week is growing in Christ. And so this prayer that Paul has is really a prayer for them to grow. It's to grow in wisdom for this reason. What is the reason that he's giving this prayer? Well, the reason is what we've just read last week in all of this gospel presentation that there's a people that he has done all the work for that through the cross, Jesus Christ has called, adopted, united, and sealed us for his glory. And so Paul is just enamored with the gospel. He just cannot get over the fact that this is what has taken place, and it's not because of anything we've done. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he has won us back from sin and slavery for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Not only is he enamored with the gospel, but he is, he is taken back by the fact that this Ephesian church had a confession that was matched by their conduct. Not only did they say they had faith in Jesus, it was lived out, and it was becoming a witness to the world. It's been several years since Paul has been in Ephesus and, and Acts, um, but now the time has gone on, and he's still getting word that they are, they are a vibrant church. And so he is praising God, he's worshiping God, and he's praying because he's overwhelmed with the mystery of the gospel that is now being lived out in the life of the saints. It's a remarkable thing when we see the change that takes place in the life of a believer. When, when you really see someone who has gone from death to life, when you see someone who has been in a pagan culture and now they've been enlightened to the gospel, and you see this drastic change in their life, does it not well up in praise and thanksgiving in your life? And this is what Paul's doing. He's looking at this. He's, he's seeing this, though he's imprisoned. He's hearing about this, and he's saying, man, I, I cannot stop giving thanks for what God has done in your life and how evident it is in the way that you treat one another. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, this church, it didn't have it made. In, in fact, it's in a very pagan culture of its time. And in its time, it would have been surrounded by all kinds of sexual and pagan temple worship. They were a culture that worshiped everything that was sensual. But in spite of the culture that they lived in, the church was a witness. Listen, for us, we live in a culture that is continually moving away from truth. We, we live in a culture that is continually beginning to worship idols and worship things that are sensual and sexual, and, and it's becoming very perverse. And yet the church can be a witness. The church can be a loud voice, and, and not just in the way that it separates itself from, from that idol worship, but also in the way that it treats one another. Hey, I've heard of your faith and how you love one another. The church today in a Western society is going to be a witness in the way that it loves one another. 
Because, you know, we're expected to be against some things, right? Because it goes, it goes against God's word. But really the witness that, that really penetrates people and hits them where it counts is the fact that there's something different about them. They genuinely love one another. The city that Paul writes to, this coast of Asia, Ephesus was uh, a temple, had a temple to Artemis there, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The Roman name would have been Diana. History tells us that a meteorite would have hit somewhere near the area, and they thought it was a gift from God. And then when they went there, they, they would have found this rock or, or what they thought was an image of, of Artemis or Diana herself. And so that became this, this god of fertility, this goddess of fertility. And so all this worship would have been surrounding the area. And even in Acts chapter 19, we see uh, in verses 23 through 27, <clears throat> about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. This culture that Paul is writing to, the church that lives in this culture, is a culture that is full of idol worship, full of pagan and sensual corruption. But yet it was the witness of their love for one another in the church that he has even given thanks for here. I do not cease to give thanks for you, verse 16, remembering you in my prayers. Paul, he's enslaved, he's in chains. He's he's not there, but he is actively involved in the ministry that is taking place in Ephesus through prayer. He sees that the ministry of prayer is powerful. And so he is ministering to them even though he's absent. He is, in the, he is in fact worshiping God, though he is enslaved or in chains, through prayer. Praise and prayer are essentials for growing in Christ. Our worship must be an overwhelming result of our gratitude for who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. Paul is overwhelmed at what God has done for the saints in Ephesus. And although he's in chains, he is full of praise. Praise, therefore, is not a condition, is not based on our condition or our circumstances or our emotions, but it's based on the truth. When we hear the truth, when we know the truth, and when we see the truth living out in other people's lives, we can we can worship in prayer and in praise. I would venture to say, though, that many of us forfeit a heart of praise because we have not plowed our hearts to receive God's word through prayer. Oftentimes, we're not ready to worship. As I mentioned that story of, of Haiti, and I, I show up, and it's, I mean, it's, they're praising God before the sun even gets up. I would say that they came ready to worship. They came with our hearts prepared 
in a culture where they are dependent upon God for everything that they have. Oftentimes we are not ready to praise because we have not spent time in prayer. And if we don't have an active prayer life, we likely won't have a very vibrant praise life. If you don't have an intimate prayer life, you'll lack an intimate praise life. We've often dumbed down our worship to an emotional response to a song rather than it being an intimate communion with Christ. Prayer should be the fuel for our praise. Intimacy in prayer precedes intensity in our praise. Have you ever felt like you just weren't in the mood to sing songs of praise? Have you ever felt that way? I'm just, just not feeling it today. Maybe you didn't like the song. Maybe you didn't like the style. Maybe you didn't like a certain instrument. We've been guilty of looking at externals to fill in the gaps where we lack internally. We're looking for a certain style to fill in the gap where we've not plowed in prayer. In fact, we, we oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this, have misused our words in discussing corporate worship because our focus is not on actual worship. Our focus is on a style or a song. But Paul, he's in chains, and he can't stop praising God. Why? Because he sees the gospel advancing. He sees the gospel changing lives. In the church of Ephesus in particular, he sees that it's making a difference. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The point of our life in Christ is to grow in Christ and to love him more, not just to avoid sin and believe right things. And oftentimes we, we forfeit growth in Christ because we're not growing in that intimacy with him. He prays that the Spirit would instill in them wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Paul's prayer request here for the church in Ephesus is that they would have a deeper understanding of what God has actually accomplished on their behalf through Jesus Christ. And as they would have a deeper understanding of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that there would be wisdom that came out of that. There would be revelation of, that would come out of that. This, he's not asking for them to get a new spirit. In fact, they've already been sealed. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. They've been sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit here, as we learn in John 14, 26, is a helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Paul is praying that the Spirit will begin to deepen their relationship with God in such intimacy that it begins to grow them closer to Christ. John 16, 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There are just certain things that we cannot understand about God. He is too 
too vast, too wonderful, and too glorious. But as we grow in Christ, we grow in a deeper understanding of who he is, not just in knowledge, but also in wisdom and revelation because the Spirit begins to reveal to us who he is. As 1 Corinthians 2.10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Lehman Strauss says, Wisdom and revelation come to us only by intimate association with our Lord. So let me ask you, from the time that you believed until now, have you seen spiritual growth take place in your life? Have you seen the Holy Spirit revealing to you more and more and more about Christ? And has it led you to praise and to prayer? How many of our long-time believers have we seen not move and not progress in sanctification because of their lack of application to God's word in their life? a lack of intimacy, a lack of growth. You see, growing in Christ means knowing who God is and how to relate to him through the finished work of Christ. Knowing the truth of his word and how to use it. Knowing what to do and how to do it. Knowing how to live more and more fruitful lives for the glory of God and for the welfare of men. This is the prayer that Paul has for the church in Ephesus, that they would continue to grow in Christ, that they would begin to understand more thoroughly who Christ is, by the working of the Holy Spirit, as we read God's word, that we would learn how to use it and apply it to our lives in such a way that it transforms us into fruitful worshipers of God for the welfare of others. As Paul writes to them, praying for their growth, he also had hard words for the church in Corinth because they weren't growing in Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. Paul sees that there is a dependence that we should have on the Spirit that grows us, not just in information about him, but in transformation of life. And so when he talks to the Corinthian church, he says, look, you're not growing in Christ. You're still staying where you were. And so he writes to the Ephesian church and he says, listen, I'm praying for you that you would continue to grow, that he would continue to reveal himself to you through the spirit. This would be abiding in Christ. John 15, one through four. It says first John, but it's not. It's just John and they're on the screen. All right, John 15, one through four. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abiding. As Sinclair Ferguson says, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. Based on this definition, would you say that you're abiding in Christ? You got information there in the very beginning of it, but it can't stop with information. Abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill your minds. That's information. Spending time in God's word, allowing his his word to fill your mind so that it directs our wills. 
when our wills begin to go in line with Scripture, so we begin to live our lives according to Scripture, well, I don't want to live this way. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to I live according to His Word. And so then I see that my, my affections are transformed, that I no longer love the things of this world, but I, I can't stand the things of this world. I, I don't want to allow any of that into my life because it goes against the very thing that, that God's called me to. This is growing in Christ. So not only are we gaining information about Christ and what he's done on our, on our behalf, the finished work of Christ, but now it's beginning to change our will and our affections. This is the prayer that Paul has for the church, that they would begin to grow in wisdom, that they would begin to apply the knowledge that they have received. And number two, growing in Christ with enlightenment. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Enlightened, enlightenment. It's kind of a dangerous word, right? It it sounds so new age. Oh, I've been enlightened. It sounds like something Oprah would say. Or, you know, some Scientology person. I don't know. But it doesn't mean anything like I've received new enlightenment. No, it just means that there has been light that has shone upon an object. That all of a sudden, there's enlightenment. So Paul is saying that we need to look for spiritual enlightenment. That we should pray that God would open our eyes to the truth about our salvation, our justification, our redemption, and our adoption so that we can clearly see the new reality of who we are in Christ. Oftentimes, we do not live as if we are who we are. We still live in a lie that the world has told us that we are, that we are separated from Him, but now we are in Christ. We are new creations in Him. We are transformed from the inside out. So be enlightened to the fact that God has changed you. Your, your standing is now in Christ. However, this enlightenment we use out of context so often, we, we're often more interested in doing what feels right than doing what God has declared is right. And then we try to justify it saying, oh, I've been enlightened. I, 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 don't, I don't see anything wrong with this. If it goes against God's word, it's wrong. Many believers today who are not growing in Christ, but rather growing in conformity to the culture, are not allowing their emotions and their wills, and their affections to be controlled by God's truth, but they've allowed their emotions to distort the understanding of God's truth. We need to be enlightened so that we can see the dark areas of our life. That he would enlighten the dark areas of our life so that we can bring, they can be brought into the light and be, con- be confessed and repented of. We need to be enlightened to where the sin has been left unaddressed in the dark areas of our heart. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. An enlightenment. As verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? This hope is an assurance. So enlightened to the truth that even though we are tormented by persistent sin and the pollution of this world, we are now in Christ and have the firm assurance or hope that because of Christ's work for us, 
On the cross, we are justified, declared righteous, and acquitted of our sins. And now we can live by faith at peace with God, knowing that there is no longer any requirement on us to atone for our own sins. That is to be enlightened. That all of a sudden, I get it. All of a sudden, I realize I don't have to do anything to get approval from God because it's already been done in Jesus Christ. And I am in him. That should bring us to a moment of praise and worship. We cannot get over that fact that God has done so many, so many things for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. For those who are in Christ, we need the spirit to enlighten the word in our hearts to reveal Christ to us so it will change us from the inside out. We need to be enlightened. And thirdly, growing in Christ with power. Paul prays that they would grow in wisdom, they would grow in, in their enlightenment of who Christ is and what he's done on their behalf, and now grow in power. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This section here, Paul then shifts back to a very Christ-centered message. Listen, this is the power of Christ, the resurrection, what he is working out in the life of the saints. The Apostle Paul here uses four different synonyms for the word power and as MacArthur points out, they're, they're all different, showing that they're all different ways in which God's power is being used in the life of a believer. As Warren Wearsby puts it, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for our daily lives. Christ has already won the victory over sin, death, the world, and Satan. God's people don't fight for victory, but from victory. That's, that's pretty good news. I mean, that's pretty good news when you think about the power that is in Christ for the life of a believer. I mean, really. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available through the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done on your behalf for your daily living? How many of us actually believe that? I mean, there are times where I feel powerless. Am I the only one? When temptation comes in and I feel like I can't overcome it, I feel like, why, why again? When I sin and I don't even like mean to sin, it just happens and I'm like, oh, I just did that. I feel powerless. But as Paul writes here, there is a power for those who are in Christ to live a life that glorifies God that is incapable of anything that is in us because of our flesh, but he has changed us. We are in Christ and we are growing in that relationship. Paul is praying for believers that they would tap into the immeasurable power of God that is working in you and for you as a child of God. This means that those who are in Christ have a supernatural power that enables them to live in victory over the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan cannot recapture a person who is in Christ. 
Therefore, Satan is a defeated enemy, trying to wreak havoc on a believer to render them ineffective and impotent in their walk. His goal now is that he can't win you back, but he wants you to believe that you're powerless against the flesh. He wants you to believe that you are still enslaved to the very same sins that were there before Christ. But let me tell you something. You have been liberated by the power of the resurrection. Not only has Paul said, I want you to understand the resurrection, now I want you to live in the power of the resurrection. As believers and as saints, as though your witness is being seen in the world, now I want you to grow in that power that he has given you. You are no longer enslaved. You are no longer held captive. You're set free. You've been set free by the precious blood of the Lamb. In Christ, we don't have to continue in sin. But unfortunately, you know what? We will sin. Every single one of us in here this week will sin. You know what we can't do? We can't point fingers. We can love one another. We can come alongside one another. We can encourage one another. We can pray for one another. We can walk with one another as we all grow in what it means to live in Christ. Oh, we will sin. But that just simply means there was a moment when we weren't abiding. Where we decided, you know what, I think I might know better. I think I might pull away for just a second and see how it goes for me over here. And then before too long, you realize you're starting to wither up and become dry and parched. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen the eject button and not hit it. Where there was a moment where I was like, you know what, this is it. This is the way of escape. Am I going to take it? Have you been there? May the power of God that is offered to us through the presence of his Holy Spirit who has sealed us, may he hit us on top of the head and make us hit the button to eject, right? Give us that way out. As Paul says in Romans 8, 31 through 37, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Grow in the power of Jesus Christ. As we look at these things, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, these are not the circumstances that would render you to be worshipful, are they? But Paul's worshiping. No, in all these things. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Why? Because he worked in Christ out our salvation, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul's prayer for the church is that their position in Christ would become their practice in Christ. Paul's prayer is that your position in Christ would become your practice in Christ. Can I tell you, that's my prayer for you today and me, that our position, that we are in Christ, would really become our practice, that we would begin to live out what it means to be in Christ, that we would allow him all authority in our life. In fact, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we've, we've read these verses more times than I can count. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't just ascend and tell us to figure it out. He said, I'm with you always. All authority is mine. The question is, have we surrendered to his authority? Have you fully surrendered to his authority? Today, my prayer for you is that you would worship out of a thanksgiving in your heart because of all that Christ has done on your behalf. And out of that intimate prayer, that you would begin to exude praise and that you would begin to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that it's a witness to the world that's lost in the blindness of sensuality and sexual perversion and pagan idol worship, that we would be a people who are different because we are in Christ.